gospel. We continue to work our way through Luke. We're, we're, we're almost at the end, believe it or not. The next, the next few weeks, we're going to stretch out some of these passages a wee bit. There's an awful lot of stuff, actually, in, these last, in this last chapter. So we're stretching this out till we reach, um, till we reach Ascension, which is 10 days before Pentecost. It's towards the end of May. Um, but I would invite you to, to turn in your own Bibles, if you have your own Bible with you, uh, to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to begin reading at verse 13. You can find that on the Pew Bibles on page 90 of the New Testament section. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. But first, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together again in, in safety and in security. Lord, last week we thought about our brothers and sisters in uh, Sri Lanka. Today we're reminded of our Jewish brothers and sisters in California, those who were killed and, and wounded yesterday as they gathered together for worship, as they gathered to hear you. Lord, we live in a terrible time. We're reminded that you are the Prince of Peace. Or may we know that reality in our world. And may we know that reality in our own lives. Now, as we gather around this book, as we listen for your voice, we ask that you might speak to us and that we would respond and become more and more the people that you've called us to be. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. The passage begins by saying, that very day. Well, that's the day of resurrection, okay? This is a story that takes place on the same day that I, the, the women had gone to the tomb. In fact, it's the very next passage. The women had gone to the tomb. They discovered the body of Jesus missing. They went and told the disciples. The disciples didn't believe a word that they said, except for Peter, you remember, who ran to the tomb and discovered it was just as the women had said. And, they were, and Peter was astonished and, and bewildered at what was going on. And this is what happens next. That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. But while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what was, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. But he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take this over here. It's too much. It's too much. So let, let me let me begin with, with, with this. I am I'm Scottish. I think most of you know that. No. No. We thought you were from Brooklyn. A little bit a little bit further east than that. One of the things that I, that I remember very much is, I mean, I've been in the States now for, for 23 years, and this is not something I've seen very often, if at all, in the American churches. But one of the things that I remember from the Scottish uh, church, the Church of Scotland, was something that happened at the very beginning of virtually every single service of worship. In fact, before worship began this always took place um, the organist would begin playing the prelude and as the organist was playing there was a, a usually a man called the beadle now the beadle is uh, we, 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 we I don't know if you're even familiar with that word but the beadle is essentially the church officer or the custodian uh, the, the, the person that looks after the building, okay? The beadle would be dressed in, in his suit. And, uh, sometimes the beadle would have a gown on, depending on the, on the tradition of the particular congregation. And he'd be standing at the back of the sanctuary. Or he'd be in the vestry, depending on where the vestry was. And as soon as he heard the first chord and the first few notes that the organ was playing, he would begin to make his way into the sanctuary, but not on his own. He would have in his hands the Bible. And he would hold the Bible high, and he would start to walk with tremendous dignity down the aisle towards the pulpit or the lectern. And with tremendous dignity and tremendous poise, he would walk up either into the pulpit or to the lectern and place the Bible on the lectern, open it up to the day's passage, take the ribbons and adjust them just so. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be aligned. Everything had to be just right. He would place the Bible in, in its spot and then he would walk away. The organist would finish playing and it was only at that point that the preacher would stand up and say 
let us worship God. Worship could not begin until the Bible was in place. Now, that's not a type of idolatry for Scripture. Some people may call that, uh, it sounds like a made-up word, but it's a real word, bibliolatry. Idolatry in relation to the Bible, worshipping the book. But that's not what it was. What that was all about was the understanding that at the heart of our worship is not just our words and our worship towards God, but at the heart of our worship was the idea that we're supposed to be listening for God speaking. Perhaps more so than us speaking to God. At the heart of that act was bringing the book in that in many traditions is called the Word of God. When we read Scripture, I always end by saying the Word of the Lord and we respond, thanks be to God. There's an acknowledgement that in some way, different people understand this in different ways, but in some way, God is speaking to us through the words of Scripture. So in the Church of Scotland, in that particular type of tradition where the Bible was brought in and was placed in its position at the beginning of worship was an acknowledgement of the centrality of Scripture. The Bible is vital for us as Christians as we as we think about who we are and how we, how we know God, there are a, a couple of different ways that we know about God. In fact, there are two ways, essentially, that we, that we know about God. And in, in, in our tradition, in the Reformed and the Presbyterian tradition, we speak about these ways of knowing God as general revelation and special revelation. God's revealed himself generally to all people through creation. And through all that we can see, we can see God in, as, as, I, as I prayed this morning, in the, in the beauty of spring, in the new life that there is, in the flowers and the trees that are, that are budding and that are blooming. We can see God in, uh, one, of our, one of our neighbors in New Providence, they had a baby on Easter Sunday morning. And a beautiful, lovely little girl called Chloe. And we can see the hand of God, can't we, in, in new life that comes through, through a child we see the perfection that there is in beautiful, beautiful babies. So we can see God in, in, in creation all around us. In fact, this week, I think it was on was it the 22nd, was Earth Day. And we celebrate the earth and all that there is. There's a beautiful verse in the Psalms that says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, the Psalms are wonderful passages. There are wonderful passages in the Psalms that point us to the hand of God in creation. So God has made himself known in a general way through all that we can see around us. But in our tradition, we also talk about special revelation. And in the Reformed tradition, there are two things that are talked about in terms of special revelation. First of all is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has shown us who God is and the extent of God's love for us and that while we were still sinners, says Scripture, Christ died for us. So we see who God is in a particular way through Jesus Christ. But our tradition also points us towards, towards the Bible. 
as being a way that God reveals himself to us. I want to talk about that a wee bit more. When we think about the Bible, as I say, in my tradition from the Church of Scotland, it was front and centre as it is for us. We always have the Bible on the communion table. It reminds us not just of the importance of the sacrament, but more especially the importance of the scripture for us as we seek to know God more. So the question I think that we, that we can ask ourselves is, what, what is the Bible and what is the purpose of the Bible? What, what, what really is the Bible all about? And we can answer that in all kinds of different ways. I think in different, different ones of us would think of the Bible in, 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 in particular ways. And they're, they're not mutually exclusive. But I think the more we think about it, the more we get kind of closer to something that might be more akin to the truth. One of the ways that we can look at Scripture is to think of the Bible as being a, a, a type of, of history from a particular perspective and a particular group of people. Uh, it, the, the Old Testament particularly is the, is the story of, of the people of Israel written by them in very, a very particular way. It's about uh, um, God's hand over and in uh, setting free, leading and guiding God's people throughout their history. And they've told that story in a very particular way. So there's a sense in which we could say that, um, that, that, that the Bible tells the story of the people of Israel from their particular perspective and looking at God's hand in, in their lives. We could see the Bible as one way to look at it. We could see the Bible also as a piece of, of classic literature. Uh, particularly, I think, the King James Version, the, the authorised version that was put together in the early 1600s. It's an absolutely beautiful piece of, of writing and a beautiful piece of translation work in so many ways. Um, it's, it's, akin to, it's akin to the works of Shakespeare with the use of, of language and the way that the, that the translators uh, put those words and those phrases together in such a way to give us and some beautiful words, M many of us, when we, uh, when we were younger and the scripture that we were familiar with and the scriptures that we learned were in the authorized version, the King James Version. And when many of us think of the 23rd Psalm, we think of it from the King James, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Those are the words that so many of us have been and remain most familiar with. That's another way of looking at Scripture. Another way to think about it is, 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 is akin to the first way, but we think of Scripture as purely and simply being a, 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 almost like children's stories with a, with a moral at the end of them, almost like the Bible's filled with, with stories like Aesop's fables. You know, their stories are told. It's children's stories. We tell these stories to our children and we want them all to learn a lesson from reading the Bible. We think of the story of maybe David and Goliath. What's the story of David and Goliath? Well, when we think of that story, we think it doesn't matter how small you are, you can defeat the giants, right? We think about Daniel in the lion's den. Trust in God and everything's going to be fine as you go through difficult situations. Okay, we think very moralistically about about scriptures and the stories in 
the Bible. We think about these characters sometimes as being heroes and looking to them in a, in a very a very particular way. I don't know if you've, if you've read the stories of the Bible recently, but the stories don't, uh, many of the stories in Scripture, although we think of them as children's stories, are really not children's stories at all. Think of the story of the, of the flood. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a worldwide genocide, essentially. It's what the flood is about. When you think about the story of King David, it's a story of a man who commits adultery and who puts the husband of the woman that he has been with to death because he wants to and he wants his woman for himself. That's not a children's story. There are so many stories that we could revisit in Scripture and realize, oh, that's not really a children's story. So there must be something else to Scripture rather than it being a story just about heroes and just for, and just for children. Sometimes we look at Scripture ourselves, the passages that are not stories as being purely and simply um, I, 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 almost like a guidebook. You know, do this and do that, very moralistic in, in its teachings to us. So we have a particular way, and all of us look at Scripture a wee bit differently. And some of us, when we look at the Bible, we look at the Bible uh, uh, in, in, in some of these ways that are, that are overlapping. But when we get to this passage here, this passage in Luke's Gospel, we're given a very different way of looking at Scripture. And some of us have already started to do this in some of the Bible study groups that we're in. And we've started to think about Scripture and look at it through a very, very different lens. Let me read again this, the, the last verse that we read. I want you to pay attention to what this is saying. If you've still got your Bibles in front of you, feel very, very free to open your Bibles up and look again at what this says. And you can underline this if, if it's your own Bible. And if you need a Bible, take the Bible that's in the pew and take that home with you if you don't have a Bible at home. You can feel very free to do that as well. So 24 and verse 27 says this, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let me take a step back. The Old Testament scriptures are made up of three parts. You've got three parts in the Old Testament. In fact, if you, if you have a volume uh, that is the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, it would be called the Tanakh. T-A-N-A-H. That's a letter. It's a Scottish letter and it's a Hebrew letter. <laughs> Tanakh. And Americans can't do that very well. But I'm Scottish. Yes, you can do it. You're Scottish. <laughs> it's called the Tanakh. There you go. And it's called, the, uh, be, it's called Tanakh because it has... Um, it's, it's, what, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the word? It's an acrostic. It's an acrostic. The first letter, the T, it stands for Torah. And the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's the law, the books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books. It's also called the books of Moses. Okay? 
It's important to know that. The N in Tanakh uh, is, is, is a Hebrew word, Nevi'im. And that word means the prophets. So whereas in the Christian Bible, you have the prophets at the end, in the Hebrew Bible, the prophets are in the middle. So the Tan, the first part, the T is the Torah, the N is the Nevi'im, the N is the prophets. Okay? And then the <laughs> the K is, uh, it stands for a Hebrew word, Ketuvim, which means the writing. So it's everything else. It's not the books of Moses. It's not the prophets. It's the other stuff. Okay? In our, in our Bible, it comes in the middle. In the Hebrew Bible, that comes at the end after the prophets. So you've got the books of Moses. You've got the prophets. You've got the writings or all the other scriptures. Now, let's go back to the text. What does Jesus say? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What we're told here is that Jesus opened up the whole of the scriptures. Now, there was no New Testament. This is before the New Testament. So Jesus is opening up the entire Hebrew scriptures to point to the things concerning himself. The scriptures are about Jesus. There's another verse in, in John's Gospel, in John chapter 5, verses 39 and verse 40. It says this, you said, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think the words themselves will give you life. Well, he goes on and says this. It's they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, here we find Jesus talking about the scriptures of the Old Testament, pointing directly to him. Let me, let me share with you, this, this was, th th this is from John Calvin's commentary on this particular passage. He writes, he writes this, and I like this actually, passage from John chapter 5. We're taught by this passage that if we wish to obtain the knowledge of Christ, we must seek it from the scriptures. For they who imagine whatever they choose concerning Christ will ultimately have nothing instead uh, of him but a shadowy phantom. First then we ought to believe that Christ cannot be properly known in any other way than from the scriptures. And if it be so, it follows that we ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. I'm going to read that again. It follows that we ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. Whoever shall turn aside from this object, though he may weary himself throughout his whole life in learning, will never attain the knowledge of the truth. For that wisdom can we have, for, for, for what wisdom can we have without the wisdom of God? Next, as we are commanded to seek Christ in the scriptures, so he declares in this passage that our labors shall not be fruitless 
For the Father testifies in them concerning his Son in such a manner that he will manifest him to us beyond all doubt. But what hinders the greater part of men from profiting is that they give to the subject nothing more than a superficial and cursory glance, yet it requires the utmost attention. And therefore Christ enjoins us to search diligently for this hidden treasure. By the Scriptures, it's well known, is here meant the Old Testament. But it was not in the Gospel that first Christ first began to be manifest. But having received testimony from the Law and the Prophets, he was openly exhibited in the Gospel. When we read Scripture, whatever other purpose we may think or believe that Scripture serves, we must be looking for Jesus. I think there's a place at which we can say that the Bible is the Word of God insofar as it points us to the one who is the Word of God, Jesus Christ himself. There's a Bible that we give to, um, a, I think it's to the, Karen's not here so she can't confirm this, and I don't remember if we give it to um, children that are baptised or if we, if we give it to, um, is it, is it, is it to, we give, a, we give a Bible to little ones, it's, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible, Who do we, we, we give it to little children, I think it's when a child is baptised, we moved, we moved to doing that last year, and in that Bible, it's, it's all this, there's so many of the stories from the Old and New Testament. And in the way that the stories are told, the stories all point towards Jesus. And here's a little piece from the, from the beginning of that particular Bible. From the now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have rules in it. They show you how life works. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and about what God has done. Other people think that the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll find out as you read this, this, this book, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. At times, they're downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules. It's not a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about the story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and has come to rescue them. When we turn to this book, and it's my hope that you're reading this book regularly. And when you read this book, don't look just for stories about other people. Don't just look for ways that this, how does this apply to me? Don't just look for rules and regulations. When you read this book, 
Look for Jesus. Because he is there on every single page. I said this phrase last week. I'm going to say it again this week. In Matthew's Gospel we find this little verse that says, Seek and you will find. If we go into this book looking for Jesus, we will find him. Or, perhaps better, he will find us. Because he's the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. May he find us. And may we find him in these pages. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.